We are in a series called The Spirit-Filled Life from the book of Ephesians, and today we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. We're going to have the words up here so you can follow along if you want to. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, hide me behind the cross so that each one of us can hear what the Spirit is saying, that you you are here today to align us, to get us in the right place so that you can fill us You can beautify us, you can empower us to leave this place a a blessing in the kingdom of God. So God, help us. We welcome you here in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. So the title of the message this morning is The New Self. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the risen head of the church has given grace to each one of us, and that the offices, these five offices, our our ministry offices, are to equip the church to grow up into the fullness of Christ, into the full beauty and the full power of Jesus, so that Jesus is manifest, his life, his beauty, his power is manifest on this earth. So this week, we talk about how how does that actually happen. This is really Christianity 101. This is how do you take it from being a theory, a doctrine, something you sing about, and how could it actually be in your life? How, how does this thing actually get lived out? And, and, and it turns out that the answer for the human race is radical. It is not a minor adjustment. It's like, hey, you're doing good, but maybe a little more of this, a little less. No, it's radical. It's, it requires a whole new self. And, and it's, it, it, it's, it's very, very at its foundation. This isn't like church as usual. This is going to be a radical shift 
to actually live out the Christianity that we sing about. So I want to start with four marks of the old self. So first Paul says about the Gentiles, the reason why they are still in darkness is because they are, it says, hardened in their heart. He says they have become callous. First mark of the old man is this hardening or this callousness of heart. Now here's another way to think about it. There is a defense attorney that lives inside of you that can always give you a reason why you are innocent, why you are not, no matter what is being charged, that you are okay. And it, it hardens your heart against the Spirit's conviction. Here's what it says in, in Hebrews 3.15. It says, today, if you hear his voice, this is the voice of the Spirit, do not harden your heart. So an encounter with God does not necessarily make you soft. Oftentimes an encounter with God can make you hard. That God is speaking, God is dealing with something, but instead of submitting to that, you harden your heart. Now here's how it works. This is Proverbs 28, 13 and 14. Here's what it says. Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. So here's how we conceal sin. The Holy Spirit's coming. He's trying to bring something to attention. And it turns out that the old self has never met a sin that he is fully guilty of. That the Holy Spirit comes and the, the, the defense attorney can say, yeah, 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 but I was tired. I was tired. I was angry. I didn't mean it. It's not that big a deal. Everybody does it. There's a thousand different defenses that can be made that say, I am not fully guilty. God came to Adam and said, this is what you did. And Adam said, uh, the woman, the woman made me do it. And he says, okay, to the woman, you did it. No, the devil made me do it. And here's the problem. When we don't respond and own sin and call it what it is, we harden ourselves. God doesn't forgive excuses. He only forgives sins. So you need to agree with him. And when we're always excusing ourselves and we always give ourselves permission, we get this callousness on us that, it, that locks us into the old self, the old man. So the first sign of the old man is he is the old self, is, is he hardens and he is callous. Second sign uh, that Paul gives is he is sensual and greedy. And that means this, if I have a desire I, that I need to, to fulfill, that I will fulfill it now. I, I have a right, I have this in, in, entitlement over me that if I have a desire, I can meet it and I can use whatever means that I want to mean it, uh, fulfill it right now. This is the old man. This is the old self. It has desires and it wants them fulfilled now. And they're called, Paul calls them corrupt, deceitful 
desires. Why are our desires oftentimes deceitful? Because here, here's what they promise. They promise happiness. If you just did this, if you just drank this, if you just slept with this person, if you just did shot this, you would be happy. And instead of you being happy, you become enslaved. That's why they're deceitful desires. Because you think, if I, if I just get all my desires met, I'll be happy. No, you'll be enslaved. So we were in Honduras, my old church in Montevideo, we would go to Honduras every year and there was a family that we worked with. And one year we got down there and they had kind of semi-adopted this little boy named Angel. Angel is two years old. Angel looked like an angel. He was, but uh, we found out that, of course, the enemy can disguise himself as an angel of light. And just because kids look cute doesn't mean that they are necessarily angelic. And uh, the irony of this little guy being called angel, because we learned very soon in this trip that angel was a tyrant, there were, there were three older girls in the family, and it, there, there was a lot going on. And so these three older girls kind of took care of Angel. And what we learned is all Angel really needed to do was indicate some type of displeasure. And if you didn't meet those needs right now, there was going to be a scene. And he could scream, and he could cry, and he could yell, and he was angry. And so, so what, but, but we learned this. And so these girls are just like... The rules on Angel is you coddle him. You just, whatever he needs, you get it. Angel, he goes to bed when Angel wants to go to bed. He just like falls asleep somewhere and then now he's asleep. He wanted to go to sleep, so he's asleep. If Angel wanted to eat something, you got it for him. If he wanted more ice cream, you got it for him. Angel, what, and, but the, the, the essence, the, 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 the central event that happened that just caught me was Angel... One day, he's got just his diaper on, because that's all he wanted to wear that day. And, and he's got a little, they got a little, a little earpiece in him, because he's listening to music that he likes in his ear, and it's connected to this CD player. And one of the girls, as Angel walks around in circles, is following him, carrying the CD player. And I said, I'm going to give him a new name. He is Little Napoleon. Because he's a little general, he's a tyrant, he commands every, everybody, whatever he needs, it's all, and here's, here's, what I'm, here's why I bring up Angel. There's a little Napoleon that lives in all of us. <laughs> Coddle me. Everything has to be my way. Now we're going to do what I want to do, and everybody has to be on eggshells around me because I have to have it my way now. The old self is hardened, callous, entitled. The third mark of the old self is self-protection. Paul says, put aside falsehood and start telling the truth to your neighbor. Here's the old self. Peter says in Mark 14 to Jesus, even though they all fall away, I will not. A few verses later, he says, I, I will happily die for you. And then just a few verses later in verse 66, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. 
And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, the bystanders said to Peter, certainly you are one of them. You are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. You say, wow, how could Peter lie like that? Well, I don't think he had to try very hard. It's just the old self. When the old self is afraid, it will protect itself. It'll tell any lie that it has to. To make itself look good, to make other people, whatever you need to hear, it comes very natural to the old man to lie. You don't even have to think about it. I think I'll tell a lie right now. Nope, it just comes out of your mouth to protect you. Because the old self is its own protection. And so it will say what it needs to do to promote and protect itself. And then the last one, last mark of the old man is offense. The old man is offended. Now, Paul says, be angry and sin not. Being angry is part of the image of God. It's part of an injustice is done, something is wrong, and it creates an anger in us at the injustice. The mark of the old self is staying angry. It's given itself permission to have a chip on its shoulder. It remembers who offended them, when they offended them, how long they offended them, and it, and it carries this chip around. And so when, everybody, and when everybody's in the, anyone's in that old self, in that old right to be mad, right to be angry, you are never just dealing with the current infraction. You are dealing with every time you have hurt them. You're, you're dealing with uh, every time anybody's hurt them. You're dealing with all kinds of stuff that weren't even part of the current infraction because they have given themselves permission, this is the old self, to be offended and to carry offense in their spirit. That's, those are the four marks that Paul gives of the old self. All right, here's point two. You're gonna love point two. Three keys to being a miserable Christian. You are a Christian, but here's how you can be an absolutely miserable Christian. First, first key. You might wanna write these down. Don't put off the old self. Try to change him. Look at Romans 7, 15 through 20. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh or old self. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. The plan for the human race is not that your old self is going to be changed. And if you try to change the old self and you're just going to make an adjustment to the old self and I'm going to, I'm going to have all these New Year's resolutions and I'm going to have all these ways that I'm going to change the old self, you are going to find out how powerful it is. 
It is no longer I doing it, Paul says, but sin in me. Whenever sin is in the singular, it is a reference to the old self. It's not sins. It's the sin nature. It's the old man. And the plan for the old man is not to change him. So no matter, if you want to be a miserable Christian, just try to change him. And if I try harder, try harder, try harder, I will change the old man. You'll never change the old man. You can dress him up. You can put some ribbons on him. You can give him some rules, but you will never change the old man, no matter how you try. And if you live your Christian life that way, you are going to be a miserable Christian. All right, second. Second key to be a miserable Christian. Don't put off the old self. Embrace him and live constantly condemned. So here's Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh or the old self, but according to the spirit. When you walk in the old self, you are never going to win at Christianity and you will constantly feel condemned constantly condemned, constantly condemned, and then you'll come back and church service will be under your condemnation, finally getting out of it and asking God to forgive you, and now I'm forgiven, and I go back out, I'm going to do the same thing, I'm going to get condemned again, and you're going to be miserable in your Christianity, even though one day you're going to go to heaven, praise God, I'm going to go to heaven, but I'm, I'm stuck in this cycle of being condemned, trying to be forgiven, trying to feel forgiven, condemned, back, forth, back, and forth. Number three, third key. Don't put off the old self. Reduce Christianity to minimum beliefs and limited behavior modification. Here's Romans 7, 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here is the the person that doesn't put off the old self. The question is, what a wretched man and I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer for the person that's unwilling to put off the old self is no one can. Doctrinally, Jesus can. I know what the verse says. I know what the songs say. But in the reality of my life, no one is able to deliver me this. So I am going to reduce my Christianity I'm going to reduce it to, because I want to go to heaven, to just a few beliefs about Jesus and about how to get forgiven and how to go to heaven, and I'm just going to limit behavior to, I'm going to add a few behaviors, I'm going to go to church on Sunday, put a little money in the offering, and maybe stop swearing at work and call that Christianity. But in this version, you will never be passionate about Jesus. In this limited, reduced Christianity... You will be, you you can still be passionate, but you will be passionate about anything else. Sports, golf, football. Uh, You can be passionate about shopping, passionate about food, passionate about your grandchildren, passionate about it. But when Jesus comes, you can even be passionate about your church. You can be passionate about your religion or your belief system or your end times thing. But Jesus himself, you will never be passionate about. And so you have this reduced limited Christianity with a little behavior modification, and you just call that Christianity absolutely miserable in your Christianity. So you have those three keys. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? All right, let's move on. So instead of being miserable as a Christian, why don't we put off the old man? That is number three, 
putting off the old self. Number one, you have to understand the power and the presence of the old self. All right, so here's what happened to me. I've told this story before. If you've been here for a while, you know I have no problem telling a story again. It's probably about eight years ago. It's the middle of winter. My dear wife, who is here this morning, one day says to me, you look old in those sweaters. I don't want you to wear them anymore. (laughs) Not, you look old in that sweater. You look old in those sweaters. Well, there were two problems with this. Number one, sweaters were my starting lineup for wearing to church. I don't like to come in a sweatshirt. I I like to have some dignity, but I want to be comfortable, and sweaters are easy to put on, and everybody knew I liked these sweaters, and so they bought them for me. They were exactly my size. They were exactly, I knew which color for which day, and so to say you look old in those sweaters that was going to mean a significant change. These were all bought for me. These all fit me perfectly. These were what I liked. But to her, I looked old. (laughs) Second problem was this. She went out and bought new clothes, bought a new wardrobe, something that she would find attractive, but she didn't take those old sweaters out of my closet. So every day... It's Monday, I, use the, I wear the blue one. I'm coming in, I've got the blue one out, I got the blue, oh yeah, that's right, she doesn't like this. <laughs> and so I have to choose. Am I gonna be comfortable or am I gonna please my wife? So what does this have to do with our Christianity? Everything. Here's what Jesus is saying to every one of his children. I love you. I died for you on the cross, but you look old to me. You look like the old self when you act like that. I don't want you to act like that anymore. I don't want you to live that lifestyle anymore. Two problems. Number one, our sin, whatever area of sin that we have, has been fitted for us. It works for us. It's become comfortable. Hebrews 12.1 says, put aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets you. So the enemy has tailor-made sin for you. It fits just right. It is what you put on when you want to be comfortable. And so this is, this is always the go-to, that, that when you're hurting or when you're tired or when life is difficult, you go to what is comfortable. Well, when in life are you tired, hurt, and going through a lot? Pretty much every day. And so this, this becomes your, your go-to, and we all have a different, easily besetting sin. Now, chances are, when I went through the marks of the old man, the old nature, the old self, you felt pretty good, because you weren't all of those. Well, that's true. You're, you're probably not all of them, but you're one of them. So you may not be um, hard and callous. You're very responsive to God, but you're bitter. And you carry bitterness and offense with you all the time. And maybe you're not sensual and greedy and I've got to meet everything now and and you're not high maintenance, but you live in self-protection and you constantly lie to protect yourself and promote yourself and you're very, very guarded. You see, it doesn't... 
The enemy doesn't matter which part of the old self that is, is your outfit. He just wants to lock you in the old self. But it's hard because you're used to it. It's hard because your mom was like this. Your grandparents were like this. This is just in the family. This is how we are. And so it's familiar. It is comfortable. And that's, that's a problem. And here's the second problem. It's still in your closet. The idea that Christianity removes the old nature and just puts a new nature so you can't sin anymore because the old nature's on, that's not true. The old nature, the old self is still in you. The Bible actually says in 1 John 1, 8, if you say that you have no sin and it's singular, it's the self. If you say you don't have a sin nature, John says this, you're a liar. John always kind of very straightforward. And it makes a mess of you because you end up having to, if you think you're free from all sin and that you're so saved that you don't, have, you don't struggle anymore, then you have to pretend that you don't have a sin nature and then you're living on a different planet than the real world. Trust me, you still have a sin nature. It's in your closet. But just because it's in your closet doesn't mean you need to put it on. Put off the old man. Now this is, this is really hard, especially for new Christians. I remember when I was a new Christian and I, I repented and I gave my life to Jesus and I'm, I'm all in and God do it, God save me, God do it. And then I'm still struggling. I'm like, God, I thought, God, I gave this to you. Why don't you take it? And here's what oftentimes we, we're really saying to God. God, I wish I was a robot. I wish I didn't struggle anymore and that I always did the right thing, and that you just pulled strings, and I did it, and it was automatic. And here's what Jesus says back. No, I died for you, and I love you, and I want you to choose me. Not just once, every day. I want it, what I think about you, and what, what, I, what I say pleases me, I want that to be more important than what you fall into. And so I want you to I mean, even if you wore that outfit yesterday, I want you to ask forgiveness and I want you to put it off today and I want you to put on the new man. And so now we're gonna talk about how do you put it off? What does it mean to put off the old man? This is Romans chapter six, verse 16, or verse six, six, six. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Watchman Nee wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. And here's, here's what the book is about. That most Christians have in their mind, there are two types of Christians. There are super Christians that are usually in the ministry or they're saints and they, they overcome sin and they move in God's beauty and power and then there's the rest of us that just kind of flounder around. And, and what he said was, no, no, that there isn't two levels. The, the normal Christian life is victory over sin. The, the, the normal, for regular basic Christians, God has victory for everybody. But here is the second truth in Christianity that you have to embrace to get victory. The first truth that makes you a Christian is Christ died for my sins. Believing that Jesus died for my sins gets you forgiveness and a, you're going to heaven. Praise God. Isn't that a wonderful truth? Jesus died for my sins. There's a second truth that's equally true, but if you don't get it and you don't believe it and you don't act on it, you're never gonna have victory. Here's the second truth. You died with Christ. 
you actually died with Christ. Jesus carried the old Adam, and when he died on the cross, you and I were there with him. We were crucified with Christ. We can live dead to the old self. Not by our effort, not by our willpower, but because it died with Jesus. By our identification with Jesus, I can live dead to the old man, and I can live alive to his resurrection life, to the new self that has been resurrected. He's the second Adam. It's, a, it's, a, it's another version of ourselves. It, this is radical, but I have to live dead to this man and alive to God. Now, the morning I was working on this, I do Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest every day. And the, the mor- that morning, it was called Crucified with Christ. And here's, here was the, the verse, Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. And then he wrote, he wrote this about it. No one is ever united with Jesus Christ until he is willing to relinquish, not sins, but his whole way of looking at things. There will have to be a relinquishing of my claim to my right to myself in every phase. Am I willing to relinquish my hold on all I possess, my hold on all my affections and on everything, and to be identified with the death of Jesus Christ? To be passionate for Jesus this is your new identity, that your identity now is Jesus, you and Jesus. Jesus isn't interested in being part of your identity. He's not interested in being an add-on to your identity. He needs to become your identity. Well, Pastor Tom, that's really radical. Yeah, that's what it's going to take. You're going to have to be passionate. You're going to have to be so passionate that you're not just committed to Jesus. You are abandoned to Jesus. What's the consequence if I don't? You won't win. You, honestly, you won't win day to day. You might make it to heaven, but you're not going to win in your Christianity. Well, that's a, is God really require that much? Here's why. He gave everything for you. He left heaven. He became human. He died naked. He gave everything. He didn't hold back. He didn't portion out. This is how much I love them. This is how much I'll do. This is what I won't do. This is what I won't. No, I'll give everything. And all I'm going to ask back is everything. It's funny, isn't it? Because Christian life starts out as a gift. It's what Jesus did for me. Thank God. I, get to, I just get saved by accepting Christ. But to win, you're going to have to become abandoned. And it's very human to seek all these other things and try to add a little of the kingdom of God on. I'm going I'm to seek my own life, my own desires, my own wishes. And, and yeah, I want Jesus too because I want to go to heaven. And so I'm going to have a little God. And, but it's mainly about me and my desire and my dream and my this. And I'm going to add a little God on. And here's the problem. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. You need to put off the old man. He died with Christ. He died. I don't have to walk in him. He's still in my closet, but I don't have to put him on. So here's the last point. Putting on the new self. So God bless Alice. She, uh, she didn't just say, you look old in those sweaters. She went out and bought a whole new wardrobe that she found attractive to and uh, she got them at Kohl's. And of course, the wonderful thing about Kohl's is 
after you've spent all of this money, you get a ticket that says how much money you saved. And so everything was on sale, and then she gets something that says, you saved $300, and it's very hard not to think about, hmm, what am I going to do with that $300? I just saved $300. They don't bring any attention to what you spent. It's what you save. Anyway, that's, that's another thing. Um, but the point is this, is she put, she didn't just say, you can't wear anything. Here's the, here's the clothes that I want you to wear now. And so here's what Jesus did. He didn't just tell you, that's wrong, I don't want you to look old in that, you look like the old self. He, he died and he paid for new clothes. They were not on sale. They cost him his blood. Jesus shed his blood, not just so that you'd go to heaven one day, but so that he could clothe you with his beauty now. What are these clothes? Where, where are they? Uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They are all in your closet. You don't have to, God, make me patient. Listen, you can just start being patient. There's patience in your closet. You can put on patience. You can put on joy. You can put on peace. You can put on gentleness. It is in your closet. Jesus says, I want you to wear this. It makes you look new. Not just to me, but to the world. It's very attractive. The world looks at this and they're like, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. When Christians put on the old self and then try to witness, it's a mess. Because people are like, you're really entitled, high maintenance, bitter, angry person, and now you want me to come to your church? What, to become like you? because you're more Christian than me. It's it's just really confusing when Christians aren't beautiful. And so Jesus says, I want you to, my beloved, I want you to to put this on. And so you say, well, why don't Christians put on the new new man more? Why don't they put on the new self? Why don't they put on those clothes? Because they're, they're not comfortable. New clothes are not comfortable. You have to wear them in. I don't know that high heels ever become comfortable. I don't know how... I don't know how women do it, seriously, but you have to put them on. Here's what he says. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4.23. He says, renew the spirit of your mind. Renew the spirit of your mind. So here it is. You've got this old self that will never change, and you've got this new self when you're born again. That's in your spirit. You are regenerated. You're not becoming. You are regenerated in your spirit. And then you've got this soul, your mind, will, and emotions that can choose which outfit that it puts on. And Paul says, be renewed. As you put these on, the Holy Spirit is going to renew you. You're go- these are going to become comfortable. You're going to break these new clothes in. And, and, and oftentimes what the enemy will say to people is a man tries to put purity on and go to church and worship God and the enemy will say, you're a fake. It's not the real you. The real you is filthy, perverted, and dirty. This is a masquerade. And here's the answer to that. Hmm? That perverted me that did this, that, and the other thing, that is me. It's just a bad version of me. And this other one that goes to church and loves Jesus and, and, and can walk in purity, that, that is also me. It's a good version of me. I haven't broken him in yet. 
I'm going to learn how to walk in that new man. I'm going to, my mind is going to get renewed. Right now, I get taken back to that old man because I've lived in him for so long and, and there's just a, there's a pull towards him. Do you know one of the, one of the Navy SEALs said? Here's what he said. He said, we have found that people do not rise up in a crisis and be the best version of themselves. In a crisis, people fall to the level of their training. Whatever their training has been is what they will go to. And so what God wants us to do is get trained to wear the new clothes. <laughs> he wants us to put them on one day at a time. All right, so let me give you the four marks of the new man. Number one, he is tender-hearted. When the Holy Spirit speaks, do not harden your heart. Agree quickly with him. The Holy Spirit is not here to condemn you. He's here to align you. When Jesus comes to the churches, the, the, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, every church ends with this. Let, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Spirit wants to align you with God. He wants to align you with the new self. Why? And this is critically important. Don't miss this. The Holy Spirit can only fill the new self. The Holy Spirit cannot fill the old self. Even though you're a Christian, even though you're born again, when you live in the old wineskin, you're not going to get the new wine because you've grieved the Spirit. You have chosen to please yourself, please your mom, please whoever it is you're trying to please, rather than pleasing Jesus. And so you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you choose to put on that new self, when you get aligned, he can fill you up, and that empowers you very quickly to start learning how to walk in the new clothes. Second mark of the new self Instead of being entitled, sensual, and greedy, the new self is content. Paul says this in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. He says, I've learned the secret of being content. He said, I know how to be prosperous. I know how to be blessed. I'm not like I have to be poor and sick and, and I can't take any of God's blessing. No, I know how to be blessed by God and let God's favor come, but I also know how to go without. I know how to be hungry. I know, to go, know how to go through hardship. I have learned the secret of being content. And then verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somehow, Philippians 4.13 made it to everybody's refrigerator. But no one puts verse 12 with it. The whole context of it is, is Paul's, Paul's learned something. He's learned that Jesus is always enough in every circumstance. He's writing this from a prison. It's called the epistle of joy because Paul has found out, oh my, even if life is horrible, Jesus is enough. And he said, I, I learned it. And a, a lot of times Christians are, are doing the math and it doesn't add up. God, I thought God loved me. Why is my life so hard? Why am I going through this difficulty? Why am I going through that difficulty? And here's God's response. I want to use this hardship to get your joy out of your circumstances. 
I want you to draw on my grace. I want you to find out that I'm enough, even when life is difficult. Why? Then you're free the rest of your life. Then you're free from your circumstances. If it's going good, praise God. If it's going bad, thank God I've got Jesus. <laughs> he, will, he, will, he will get us through this. You are free. Most people and most Christians live under their circumstances. God, God's plan is not for you to live under circumstances. He wants you to live over them. He wants you to live in the spirit. Number three, third mark of the new self. Trust God. This is an amazing one. I don't have to lie to you. I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to pretend for you. I don't have to remember what you want me to be and what you want me to be. And I don't have to have a mask because, listen, my, I just trust God. If you don't like me, that's on you. That's fine. If you reject me, if you persecute me, it doesn't matter. I am trusting God. I can be honest every day because God is my defense. Oftentimes, the people of God in this world will have to say these words. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to do what's right. And if they hate me, they hate me. If I lose my job, I lose my job. If the worst thing happens, then the worst thing happens. But I am not for sale. I am trusting God and I'm going to live an honest, genuine life. This is the best version of you, is you being yourself filled with the Holy Spirit. Three times, three different people in the Bible said, if I perish, I perish. I'm gonna do the right thing and if I perish, I perish. I want you to notice something. None of them perished. God rescued all three of them. God wants us to trust God him as our protection instead of protecting ourselves with lies. All right, and the fourth one, last one, is the new self is unoffendable. So last Tuesday morning, we are in our staff prayer time, and Joe Guglielmo is sharing from his heart how God met him several years ago, and uh, he was on fire as a Christian, but he said, I was... I was so filled with angst. He said, it was like I was trying to hit a home run every time and striking out most of the time. And I was just frustrated with myself. I was frustrated with everybody else. We should all be hitting home runs and, 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 and just living in this angst. And, and God used somebody and used a scripture in Psalm 46. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted in all the earth. I will be exalted in the nations. And just this, the power of the ease of heaven, of, of not trying so hard, but, but really, it's dying to the old man and living in the new man. And uh, so he's, he's sharing this as a testimony. And this is hilarious. I get the movie Moneyball. Now, here's why that's funny. Joe is always the prophetic guy that sees movies. And he's like, it's just like this movie or that movie or that movie. And, and I'm like, Joe, can you use the Bible instead of a movie? And anyway, um, so, here, so now it's coming back to me. And, 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 I'm, and all I'm thinking of is Moneyball. Moneyball is a great movie, stars Brad Pitt. He plays Billy Bean, who was the manager of the Oakland A's in 2002. The Oakland A's are a subpar team. It's a smaller market. They don't have big salaries and they've got a, a few stars. They're 10 games under 500. And he brings on this assistant manager 
who is a math guy. And he's done all of these statistic analysis on all these players. And he says, he says this to Billy. He says, it's not about home runs. It's not about steals. It's not about the big plays. It's about people getting on base and not getting out. And he said, I've analyzed all the players in Major League Baseball. Here are all the people that we need to get rid of, and here are all the people we need to get. And a lot of the people that they needed to get rid of were their stars. They were paying them the most. And a lot of the people that they needed to get were like really old, or they were really short, or they just, they just but they got on base. They got on base, usually through walks, not by hits. And he's like, this is who we need to get. And so he's like, you realize that if I get rid of our star players, that they're going to fire me. You have any idea what the press is going to do if we do this? He's like, we're 10, game on, 10 games under anyway. Let's do it. So he decides, all right, I'm selling everything. I'm just going to do this system. So he gets rid of his stars, and he gets all these no-names that get on base. And oh my, does he take it from the press and his job is on the line. And he, to, to his owner, he's just like, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. You got to trust me. And then he says to his assistant, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. I'm tr-. Anyway, um, this better work. So 2002 Oakland A's, the whole thing changes around. They win 20 straight games. More, they set the major league record for wins in a row. And so here's, here's what came to me for Joe, for all of us, really. A lot of times, we're trying, to, we're trying to hit home runs. We're trying to do some great thing for God. And the truth is, is all we need to do is live in the new self every day. The problem is, is there is a deceiver. Did you know that a pitcher is a deceiver? A pitcher is trying to get you to swing in pitches that are out of the strike zone. He's constantly trying to give you a curveball, to give you, and what happens with Christians is they, they, they get up, they're very sincere, but the enemy touches them in all these different ways and gets them swinging at pitches. I'm offended at this person and darkness is doing. I'm offended by the, the, the war in Ukraine. I'm offended by my mom. I'm offended by this. I'm, and, and offense, 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 offense. And so we're, we're swinging against darkness and we're, trying, and we're getting worn out and we're getting tired and we're not enjoying Jesus. We're not enjoying our Christianity. We're just worn out. Darkness has worn us out and we've got a long record of strikeouts to the point that you're wondering if Christianity is even real and if it even works. And God says, I want you to rest in me, to rest your identity in me, and you don't have to swing at every pitch. Every person that attacks you, you don't have to attack back. Every bad thing that happens in the world, every dark thing that happens to you, you don't even have to pray about it. Just let it go. Do you know that temptation is not sin? Temptation is temptation. Don't, you don't have to repent because you were tempted. Just let it go. And when the Holy Spirit says swing, swing. Instead of trying to get the darkness, I'm going to get rid of the darkness. And my kids, come to Jesus, you kids. I said get saved. Okay? How is that working? So Paul says, I don't, we, I don't fight as one beating the air. I've learned how to 
Walk in the Spirit. I'm unoffendable by darkness. Darkness is going to do its thing. The devil's going to do its thing. And he knows your wounds and he knows your stuff. And he's trying to, he's trying to get you to swing at pitches. He's trying to wear you out. He's trying to wear out all your energy, chasing darkness, so that you have no energy left to walk in the Spirit. So right in the middle of this, in Ephesians 4, Paul, he's addressing Christians, he's addressing Christians on the new life, put off the old man, put on the new, but right in the middle, he stops in verse 21, and he says, oh, if you, are, you really belong to Jesus, if you've really given your life to Jesus, otherwise none of this is going to work. Guys, the first step is you, you have to give your life to Christ. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. Coming to church does not automatically make you a Christian. Any more than being in a garage makes you a car. You, you, to become a Christian, you personally have to open your door and say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, give me your radical solution for the human race. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I love you. I died for you. I want to give you myself. Lord, I, I, I need you. I don't need a little of you. I need all of you. And to have all of you, I need to give all of me. And Lord, um, I'm opening my door right now. Come in and save me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And teach me how to walk with you. In Jesus' name.